0: Who you are defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series. Brought to you by Stanford eCorner. On this episode, we have Alberto Savoya, Innovation Agitator Emeritus at Google. Alberto helped develop, manage, and launch products such as Sun Microsystems Workstations, Sun Labs Java and Google AdWords. He also developed the rapid prototyping technique called Pretotyping. Here's Alberto. This is my battle cry these days. Failure bites, bite back. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I kind of got my butt kicked a few times and uh, uh, the last time I decided I don't want this to ever happen again to me or anyone else. So my mission is to help entrepreneurs, most of you here, to teach you how to fight failure and win consistently. But first, let me tell you, uh, I, I'm gonna structure it very simply, seven strategies in 35 minutes. I don't have a lot of time, but fortunately there is a book that you can buy out there that you know you can spend six hours in my uh, company. And I was told, give, you, give the advice you would give to your 20-year-old self, so a lot of 20-year-old here, but regardless, this advice is timeless. So that whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, this entrepreneurial advice uh, is uh, applicable. Now, my entrepreneurial journey, as you can tell from my accent, I was not born here. I was born in Italy, and uh, like pizza, I decided to come from Italy to America for bigger <laughs> and uh, and better things. And of course, what do you do? So I landed in Silicon Valley. I decided I want to join a startup, and I joined in 1985 a little startup called Sun Microsystems, pre 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 IPO. And uh, some of you are too young, you don't even know about this company, but it used to be kind of like the Google uh, of those days. And I had a very good uh, run there for about 13 years. I was in engineering at at first, and then I ended ended up running a research group, and the stock went great. And so I thought, wow, this is so cool. You know, startups are great. This is awesome. I want to do my own startup." So I left Sun and I started my, my first company. We raised $3 million in VC funding. And 18 months later, we received an offer for acquisition for $100 million. You think we accepted that offer? How many think you accepted? No, Are you a fool? Yeah, of course you accepted it. You accepted it. You know, this was 2001. That's like a billion today. Don't be an idiot. Take it. Right? Uh, take it. So it worked out very well. And I thought, wow, you know. This is easy. So I, I thought, well, I called my friends in Italy. Hey, Mario, come to America. It's good. You know, <laughs> this is... Um, and so I spent an year at the acquiring company. Uh, and then I joined another little startup, pre-pre-APIO, called Google as uh, the first engineering director. And, uh, you know, among other things, I led the ads team. And we all know how well Google did. So I thought, you know, this is really easy. And I'm kind of good at picking startups. So if I raise $3 million and exited with a $100 million offer, if I raise $30 million, I'm going to exit at $1 billion. You know, the math doesn't really work like that, but, you know, in, in my mind, that sounded good. So my, sec- my second startup, which I founded, raised $25 million from the best VCs in the Valley. Uh, we developed this tool that people told us, if you can build the software development tools, everybody will flock to your doors. Please build it, uh, and we will buy it. So we built the tool, spent two years to build a very sophisticated uh, product every we won every possible awards for technology it was an amazing tool so i thought wow i'm really good at this you know i'm i may be the italian steve jobs stefano <laughs> stefano jobini you know I thought, hey, that sounds good it has a ring to it except that five years later bang we, we know we had a fire sale all those people that told us if you build it we will buy somehow disappeared even though we built exactly what they said we were going to build so this time, my reaction was a little different, and I created this acronym that stands for Why the Failure, right? <laughs> so I, I asked myself, why did, we, uh, why did we fail? And I decided, okay, I want to study failure. So I went back to Google as engineering director, but also as innovation agitator to try to shake new, uh, new ideas out of Google, and you cannot innovate without faili- failing. So I became, from an engineer, I became an innovation agitator and I always wanted a PhD and I didn't get it, but I got an FD. I'm a doctor of philosophy. The only one in the world. I don't know if anybody in the planet has studied failure more than I did. And I'm here to share with you some of uh, these ideas. So I only have time to give you seven strategies. I started with 10 and then I timed it and I couldn't do it. So I decided, Alberto, you're going to talk fast and you're only going to give them seven strategies. First one. Obey the law of market failure. The law comes in two parts. The first one is pretty depressing. Most new ideas will fail in the market. The second one gets even more depressing, even if competently executed. Now, if you've been around the block, you know that's true. Most new ideas, most new companies, most new products from existing companies will fail in the market, right? The data is, you, you cannot fight against it. But what about the second part? What does it mean that they fail even if competently executed. It means that even if you're at Google and you launch products that are squarely, and what Google is good at, the law of market failure applies to you. If you search for Google failure, one of the pages you'll come up with is called the Google Graveyard, apparently put together by a Microsoft product manager who was kind of upset at Google at the time. And But it illustrates that even large companies fail a lot. I ask my students, take a piece of paper, write all the Google products you know of, and then I show them the list of the failures that I know of, and the ratio is usually five or 10 to one. By the way, the, the, uh, Google, uh, Google didn't like what Microsoft did to us, so we created the Microsoft Morgue, <laughs> which has even more failed products, right? So this is pretty much par for the course, you know, fa- the, the law of failure applies to everybody. But then I started to say, okay, law of failure is true, I'm gonna obey, but why do most new ideas fail uh, in the market? So I I did my research to look at thousands of failure and basically I put them into three major buckets uh, with a convenient acronym, FLOP. Failure due to launch, operation, or premise. Failure due to launch means that the market doesn't know about your idea or cannot reach your idea. So essentially kind of a failure of marketing. People don't know about it. Failure due to operation means the product doesn't work, right? The app crashes or maybe it's a restaurant and the food sucks. Failure due to premise means that Even if you market it well, even if it works well, people simply do not care about your new product idea. Which one do you think is the most common source of failure? Well, I'll hold the suspense, it's the last one. Most new ideas fail because the market simply does not care. And as we'll see, even if they tell you, yes, yes, build it, we will buy it, that's not the case. Most new ideas fail because they are not what I call the right it, which happens to be the title of my new book. What is the right it? Well, I'll explain it in a second. But first, the second important strategy, make sure you're building the right it before you build it right. Because all of my research, and anybody that's been around will confirm it, companies do not fail because they really cannot build what they set out to build. I mean, it happens, but it's rare. Most of the time you fail because you built the wrong product. So, the right it, I define it as follows. It's an idea that if competently executed, will succeed in the market. And it has an evil twin, the wrong it. An idea that even if competently executed, will fail in the market. That means that if your idea is bad, doesn't matter how much marketing fireworks or engineering brilliance you put into it, it will fail in the market. Let me give you some examples of the right it and the wrong it. Big Mac for McDonald, the right it. Other Arch Deluxe or the Mac Hula, a burger with a slice of pineapple in the middle? Not the right it, right? Uh, Coca-Cola, the right it. New Coke, after millions of dollars in research and launch and advertising, failed. Not the right it. Everybody here has probably seen the movie Star Wars. How many saw the movie Howard the Duck? (laughs) Not a lot, yeah, there's just a few. And you know what those two movies have in common? Steven Spielberg. Howard the Duck, believe it or not, is a movie that Steven Spielberg decided to do after Star Wars and it had 10 times the budget, and on top of it, it had ducks. And everybody loves duck, right? Yeah. Donald Duck, Duffy Duck, Duck of Orange, ducks are cool. <laughs> and yet, it failed miserably. Uh, Gmail, how many people here have Gmail accounts? Good. How many people here had a Google Wave account? Just fewer hands. Yes. Sir, how many Google Waves did you write? None. None, right. So you sh- Actually, you're better than, mo- people said two. Right, so Google Wave was supposed to be the follow up to email, a new paradigm, lots of marketing developed by the same people that did Google Maps, great team, and yet it failed. And yet you see it has the same Google caller, the same Google great engineer, the free massager, the free lunches, all the Google benefits, and yet it failed. Uh, Ford Mustang success, Ford Edsel, not so much. Right, so all of this this example, what they have in common is that these are companies that are successful with other products and they're launching products that are exactly what they do. cars, uh, you know, electronic things, movies, and yet they fail, because you cannot fight the law of failure. If you take competent execution plus an idea that is the wrong it, you're guaranteed failure 100% of the time. The law of failure is blind. So you don't want to bring out an idea that is the wrong it, and you ask yourself, well, how do I know if an idea is the right it? Well, do not ask. And what I mean by that is that if all you have is an idea, and you tell other people your idea. The most you can get back are questions, and this is a very dangerous thing to do. Why? Because ideas live in a place I call Thoughtland. So in Thoughtland, you have an idea. Hey, here's my brilliant idea. You tell it to other people, and what do you get back? Just a bunch of opinions. Whoops, I overclicked. A bunch of opinions, and opinions are subjective. They are biased. You know, you filter them through your own preferences and beliefs. I, for example, I thought that Uber was a terrible idea. Strangers picking up strangers from strange places and driving them to spend the night at a stranger's house on the couch. That's another startup idea, Airbnb, which I thought was terrible, right? So you need to filter uh, these ideas. Two horrible things happen in Thoughtland. The first one is if you have an idea uh, and people think it's the greatest thing ever. One of my favorite examples is the Segway transporter. You know, those little scooters that you used to see a few years ago. When this was about to be launched, everybody talked about it, right? Everybody thought, Best idea ever, it was in the cover of magazines, it had some of the best VCs in the valley. Architects said cities will be redesigned so everybody's going around in a scooter, right? So, and then they launched it, and who do you see riding Segways? Mall cops and lazy tourists. That's about it, right? So, uh, and clearly, it's not because a failure due to marketing. People knew about it. In fact, it was talked all over. It's not a failure due to operation because it worked well. I don't know why things fail, right? I just know that most of them fail. So, and these are called an example of a false positive. People tell you best idea ever, you launch it and it fails. How common are false positive? The most common thing that people launch. So everything in the Google graveyard, in the uh, Microsoft morgue, in the Amazon ambulance, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are ideas that at some point people thought best ideas ever, and then they launch it and it failed. Why? Because you know what doesn't fail? The law of market failure. Right? Most new ideas will fail, even in market, if competently executed. So, first bad thing that happens, people give you the thumbs up, you spend a lot of money, you launch an idea, it fails miserably. The opposite can happen. You have an idea, and people think it's the worst idea ever. Honestly, I felt that way about Twitter the first time I heard about it. What 140 characters people can follow, everyone can follow anyone, sounds terrible. And yet, for better or worse, we know that Twitter has changed the way that we you know, converse as a a species. So this is an example of a false negative. People tell you it's a terrible idea, and then it succeeds. So here's your dilemma, right? If all you have is an idea, you cannot depend on people's opinion. You cannot just ask them, would you want it, would you buy, what would you do with it? So what can you depend on? Any ideas? Okay, well I'll tell you. I'll I'll jump ahead because we don't have a lot of time. You depend on data. And as you can see, you trust, not opinion, trust data, and not just any data, your own data, right? Because when I tell people, you know, you need data beats opinion and you need to collect your data, people think, uh, okay, yeah, well, this looks like data. I mean, it's in the spreadsheet, so it must be data. No, right? There's two types of data, OPD and Yoda. OPD stands for other people's data. Can you guess what Yoda stands for? Right? You guys are smart, okay, you're great. <laughs> yes, you're on data. And these two are as different in my book, literally, as apples and oranges. In fact, rotten apples and fresh oranges. OPD is the worst possible thing you can collect, right? So OPD is market data collected by other people at other times for other products, with other methods, with other filters, etc., etc. It may or may not apply to you, and most of the time it does not apply to you. It's dangerous because Just because other ideas similar to yours have failed doesn't mean that yours will fail. Imagine if Elon Musk, thinking of Tesla, thought, well, let me see how other car companies did with electric cars. Uh, You know, zero of them succeeded. I said, well, okay, forget this Tesla. I think I'm gonna go and do something else, right? So just because other companies failed with an idea doesn't mean that you will fail. The opposite is true. Just because others have succeeded in the past with your idea doesn't mean that yours will succeed. Apple succeeded with the iPhone. Google succeeded with Android and Samsung. Uh, did Amazon succeed with a Fire Phone? No, right? So OPD is very dangerous. So I urge all my entrepreneurs to collect your own market data. First hand, fresh, local, recent, recently collected, and most importantly, your data needs to have skin in the game. What do I mean by skin in the game? If I asked you, what do you think of my idea? And you tell me, oh, Alberto, it's good. I said, should I leave my job to pursue it? I say, sure, go, go for it, right? You have nothing at risk. Skin in the game means that as an entrepreneur, you're putting, you're risking, right? You're risking your time, your reputation, your money to go and start a new venture. You're putting your own skin in the game. You wanna get skin in the game back from the market, right? And skin in the game can be the market's time, money, commitment, information, reputation, something of value and at risk. Let me give you a very simple example. Uh, Susie came up with a great idea a smart hammer, so you you hit the nail instead of hitting your fingers. She goes and asks people, hey, you know, I'm thinking of this hammer. Would you buy it? And some people said, yes, good idea. Other people say, bad idea. Does this count as data? No, right? This is opinions. Now, in another scenario, she she says, well, I'm planning to build this hammer, and if you give me $50 deposit, I will make sure that you get one of the first one. So some people say it's a lame idea. They're dead to me, you know, just like in Shark Tank. You're dead to me. But uh, the other people, say instead of saying it's a good idea, if they actually open their wallet and give you some money, you have the first indication that the market really is interested in your idea, right? You fix an asymmetry. Before you put in your skin in the game by quitting your job or getting VC funding, get some from the market. Uh, So that's what we call Yoda. You can quote me on this. It's much easier to get people to open their mouth than to open their wallet. The hardest thing an entrepreneur can do is to get companies and people to open their wallet. I've been told so many times, Alberto, it's a fantastic idea, go build it. And then when I went to sell it to them, I said, well, yeah, not to we're having a bad quarter, forget about it, right? So it, it's very uh, important. You need to change the way you approach market research from this traditional model of doing market surveys or asking people this question, if we build it, will you buy it? Which is how most market research is done, by the way, right? You, you ask these questionnaires. You flip it around completely, 180 degrees. Think about this. If you buy it, we will build it. Now this seems very counterintuitive, but I will give you an example of how exactly how to do it. Uh, because now you're asking, well, don't I have to have a product built before I can see if people want to buy? And the answer is no. You don't build it, you prototype it. This is not a typo. This is a word I invented, prototyping, it, because it had to be invented. So, uh, strategy number five is pretotype it. What is the pretotype? Well, it's the simplest artifact or technique you can use to collect Yoda very quickly and very inexpensively. So th- there is a big range be- between having an idea and the final product. This could be years, months, you know, uh, millions of dollars. And the way I see it, pretotype come very, very early. A pretotype is something that you can build in minutes, hours, maybe a couple of days, and it should cost anywhere from zero to maybe a couple of hundred bucks if you really feel like splurging, right? A prototype is something that actually works, can do something, and can take a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months. I've worked on prototypes for uh, software development tools that took a year and a half just to prove that the thing would actually work. And of course, the products take a long time. So, prototypes are things that you can build very, very quickly, literally, in a couple of hours. Let me give you an example of prototyping. Uh, Something that actually got my thinking about this process About 30, 40 years ago, IBM wanted everybody to have personal computers. But you know, 40 years ago, most people didn't know how to type, right? Those of us that were around there, you remember this is how people type. So they figured, no way that people can use computers if they have to learn how to type. Who types? Uh, Programmers, writers, and uh, secretaries, right? Nobody else knows how to type. Nobody wants to take typing lessons. But they wanted to know, well, if we solve this problem of speech to text, right, so you can just speak to a computer, will people actually buy our product? So they did something very clever, an experiment. They brought people in the room, they gave them a, mi- a microphone, a monitor, no keyboard, and told them, look, speaking to this computer, we have a prototype of speech to text. Uh, and people spoke into it, and magically the computer did whatever uh, people told them to do. Of course, this was not possible. Those days, even the fastest computer couldn't handle this. So what was happening? Well, in a room next door, one of those amazing people that can tap as fast as you can talk, uh, was actually transcribing everything that uh, was being heard through the computer. And I tell you, as an engineer, this example kind of really messed up with my mind. Because if you go in, how many engineers here? Yeah, how many? Yeah, they use soldering iron, etc. So if you come to an engineer and say, Alberto, we need to build a prototype, I said, great, fire up the compiler or the soldering iron, right? I thought, this is not a prototype. They're just pretending that they have something to work. So in fact, I created this first word, pretendotype because I knew this is not a prototype. It's not like IBM was planning to breed a, a race of small typists that they fit inside boxes, and you feed them cheese and crackers through the floppy drive, right? So it's not a prototype. it's something completely different from the end product. And then I shrunk the word to pretotype because it's easier uh, to pronounce. But remember, pretotype means before a prototype, but also use your imagination uh, to pretend. So what IBM learned is that before the pretotype test, a lot of people thought, of course we want a speech-to-text computer. Now, if you try to actually use a speech-to-text computer all day without a keyboard, your throat gets sore, the room gets very loud, and you cannot dictate or work on confidential things like, fire Bob. Oh, sorry Bob, didn't know you were around here. <laughs> right? So, in Thoughtland, speech-to-text was a sure winner when people actually tried it, realized it was not. So, uh, this is an example of what I call a mechanical Turk prototype. You know, and These days, everybody's talking about robotics and AI. Before you spend for a and $40 million to, to create some automated uh, pizza maker or something, uh, something else, you can use human beings to simulate that behavior. It doesn't scale, but you can learn if people would actually uh, use it. A prototype with a noise, something you usually typically build to figure out, can we build it, how long will the battery last, how will it work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It basically asks the question, how do we build it right? And here's the secret, most of the time you can build it. Now, if you tell me I have an idea for a time machine, you know, I call the guys with the white coats and tell you you probably cannot build it, but most of the ideas people have uh, are buildable. A prototype asks different questions. It asks you, should we build it? No, will I use it? What will I use it for? In other words, a prototype asks the idea, it asks, is this idea the right it? Something that if I build uh, competently will succeed in the market. Now, there are several prototyping techniques. This is a cheat sheet from a class that I had the honor of teaching uh, with Tina. Let me give you just a few more examples. The facade prototype, uh, Cars Direct wanted to know at the beginning of the internet, would people buy used cars online? So what did they do? Did they buy cars? Did they have a big complicated website? No, they had a very simple website with just a few cars, no cars in inventory. They advertised it and miraculously, the first two days they sold four cars. So immediately they shut down the website they bought four cars at retail, they sold them at retail, so they lost a few hundred dollars on each car, but what did they gain? Yoda, right, Yoda. Nothing is more valuable than a check, right? A check tells you that people really want uh, your product. I'd rather have a one-page business plan, an outline with four checks stapled to it, than a 30-page, highly detailed business plan with all kinds of charts. Another example of pretotapping is this from IKEA. Uh, this team in San Francisco came up with a really simple product called the wall hub It's a piece of plastic where you put your keys and your mail. Uh, they wanted to know would people buy them You know, should we have 10,000 built so they had an idea they thought well what, Where would people buy this IKEA? So they did something very clever. They went on eBay They, they bought a used IKEA employee shirt so they could pretend Remember pretend to type it, that they were an IKEA employee then they created a fake label for their product Of course they had to change it to an IKEA name like Valhub, uh, and they put this label, and then instead of shoplifting, they entered an IKEA store and placed their product on some free shelf space. And then they watched to see if anybody would actually stop and buy it. And lo and behold, you can watch the video, I put uh, the link there, people actually took it, put it in their cart, and everything worked fine until they got to the cashier, because uh, things got a little confusing. But would you agree that if I have two Valhubs in my cart, is that opinion? No. Is that other people's data? No. That's Yoda. That's the most valuable thing you can have. Uh, another example of prototyping called the impersonator. You can take an existing product, uh, put a wrapper around it, and very quickly come up with a new idea, and then you can use that to collect data. My favorite example for this is what Elon Musk did with the original Tesla Roadster. He took a Lotus Elise, ripped off the, the gasoline engine, put an electric engine, and then went, you know, built this one off model and then gave people rides in this car. It's amazing, zero to 60 in three seconds. So let's assume I gave you for a ride. Did you like it? Quickly, quickly, did you like? Yes, pretty, pretty fast and sexy. Okay, it's gonna cost $120,000 and you have to wait two years and you have to put, put a big charge in your garage. Uh, would you buy it? No. yes, no, Yeah. Okay, so two years and two no. So the, the no's are dead to me. Now, but the yes have not given me any skin in the game. So what Elon Musk did, which was brilliant to say, Remember, if you buy it, I will build it. So I'm gonna ask you, well, you know, it's not that I don't trust you guys, but you know, if you give me a check for $5,000, I'll put you in the, in the list, your number 31 and your number 32. Now think, is it easier to say a yes or to write a check for $5,000 to a guy that never built a car company before, right? And yet, a few hundred people did that, and to these days, you cannot buy a Tesla without putting a deposit. So if you think that my idea If you buy it, we will build it, it's crazy. Tesla is a perfect example of that uh, in action. You want to do this because you want to fail fast and cheap. People talk a lot about failing fast, but as you can tell from how fast I speak, that's not fast enough for me, right? I tell tell them, I want you to fail Ferrari fast and Fiat cheap, sorry Fiat, (laughs) right? Uh, So, because remember, most new ideas will fail in the market, which means that you have to test a lot of ideas, and if you take six months to test an ideas, uh, good luck, right? Unless your luck is going to take uh, forever. So, prototyping allows you to test very quickly. More importantly, you're not going to experience painful failure, right? Because you spend $20 to do, an exper- to do a, a prototype test. It's an experiment, right? It doesn't hurt. definitely doesn't hurt after uh, as much as spending three years and $25 million to build a product that, that, that people do not want. So, uh, uh, strategy number six, say it with numbers. Entrepreneurs, and probably most of you, when you have an idea, you come to me and you, you express it very vaguely. So here's an idea from some of your fellow students maybe five, six years ago. Second day sushi. Here's the idea, right? Packaged sushi is kind of expensive. So they thought, you know what? Uh, if we buy sushi that's about to expire, right? It's only good for an extra eight hours before it kills you. We can buy for 25 cents on the dollars and sell it at 50 cents on the dollars. And since students are young and have a strong stomach, we can handle it. So I said, okay, I'm not going to give my opinion on your idea, but uh, uh, but I'm asking them. So this is how they articulated, right? Uh, people, lots of them will buy not super fresh sushi if it's cheap enough. That's pretty much how they express I said, look, who are these people? How many is lost? And what is cheap enough? So I, I was in a room actually outside there, you know, just outside this auditorium and somebody had left a formula, you know calculus class or uh, electrical engineering class on the on the wall and i thought okay tell you what write it like this x percent of y will z i call this the x y z hypothesis right so it forces you to write your idea in numbers so in this case they translated into number 20% of packer sushi buyers will buy second sushi if it's half the price of fresher sushi how do you know if those numbers are right you don't, it's a hypothesis, right? But at least it articulates and puts into number what your ideas are. And what is the job of an hypothesis? A, a hypothesis exists to be tested and prototyping our tool to test uh, hypothesis. Uh, last point, test, uh, think global, test local. Maybe the second day sushi team is planning to take over the market, right? Every supermarket is gonna have second day sushi. But you need to start to test your ideas very quickly, you want to minimize these metrics that I explain in my book called time to data, dollars to data, distance to data. If people say, I have this great idea and I need six months, $2 million, and I need to fly to Hawaii to do my research, uh, I said, well, no, you're going to do it here, you're going to do it for $20, and I want the results by tomorrow, right? And a technique for doing that is called hypozooming. So you take this big hypothesis, 20% of package sushi buyers, and you zoom in. Uh, You know know those documentaries where you see, or those videos where you see the Earth from space, and then it zooms into a, you know, to a town, and then to a particular uh, place, and then to a building? I want you to do that in your mind, right? So you take the big X, Y, Z hypothesis, and hypozoom to something you can test here and now. And when I say here and now, I mean it literally. Here and now, right? So where are we now? North America, right? We're in North America. Silicon Valley. We're in Silicon Valley. Stanford University. We're in Stanford University. Building Y2E2, and then I ask you: Is there a place in this building or nearby that sells sushi? Yes, there is upstairs, right? Coupa Cafe. So I said, great. So you're going to hypozoom, You can you have your market. A small sample of your market is there. So you can go from the big XYZ hypothesis to the small XYZ hypothesis. 20% of students buying sushi at Kupa Cafe to their dinner will buy second day sushi, right? And do you believe that this is actually testable? Can I do this test? Absolutely, in fact, we did it. We even did a little video right, with some of my friends there. Where is? Where are you guys? Yes, we did it here, we, we filmed it. We went, uh, we created little labels that said second day sushi, half off, and we slapped them on fresh sushi, right, it's an impersonator prototype, and then we tried to sell them. In fact, if you're there, that's outside the STVP offices. Now, uh, how many people do you think bought our second day sushi? Zero, right? <laughs> right? And you know, the typical thing is, well, you know, I don't want to get sick. So it do, doesn't mean that Second the Sushi has no chance. It just means that you need uh, to do some more tests, but it, frankly, y- your Yoda doesn't look uh, very good. Right? So these are just seven strategies. There is a lot more, but I cannot possibly talk any faster and our time uh, is limited. So there is more, yes, a lot more. There is a book. I see some of you already bought it. Thank you so much. If you haven't bought it, go to Amazon and buy it. No, no I'm not done, I'm not done, yes. Yes, it's it's a great book, thank you. Uh, but uh, there is more. But because the question you have to ask is, hey Alberto, do you practice what you teach? I say you better do, not because I don't wanna be a hypocrite, because what I teach works. All the techniques are, I'm an engineer, I'm not in marketing, I'm not in sale, I'm an engineer. If it doesn't work, I wouldn't talk about it, right? So pre techniques cannot not work any more than the quadratic formula cannot work. Right? You, you plug in the numbers, unless you scrap, it does work. So I thought most books fail in the market, they don't even find a publisher. So before doing that, I spent a few days, less than a week, writing a prototype book called Prito-type It. I printed it in a PDF, I made it available, uh, I stapled some copies myself. Soon, tens of thousands of people started to download it, translate it into a dozen languages. So I thought I was able to find a publisher that said, OK, this looks promising. So I actually went from the prototype to a prototype, which in the case of a book is a first draft, and then it finally became the product. So very one of the many examples of me practicing what I preach. So uh, that's kind of a presentation. I wanted to leave some time for questions, 15 minutes, and guess what? We have exactly 15 minutes. Do I have my timing right? Yes, I do. So now, let's go and ask some questions. Please raise your hand, and I will pick you at semi-random. All right. Nobody raises their hand. What, Tina? Oh, okay, no, that's no, easy, no, though. Yeah, let's just out. <laughs> What's the biggest people, problem people have with crypto? What is the biggest problem? Yeah, the, the biggest problem people have, entrepreneurs have, is they fall in love, not with the problem, but with their idea, with the solution to the problem, right? So, uh, and I see this happening all the time. And you know what, preto tapping? Because if you believe the law of market failure, chances are 80% that your idea, your initial idea, is not going to work. And you know what, pre-tapping is gonna expose that. You should have seen the face of the second day sushi guy when nobody bought it. I thought, I thought at least somebody would try it. right? So I would say that is the number one uh, problem. The techniques work, but it takes a little bit of courage to take your baby, your idea, and put it in the market. Yes? So This makes a lot of sense when you have a physical product, right? but what if it's like an app? Oh, app? Well, in the book, I use app. The question is, it works well for a physical product, but what if it's an app? Well, first of all, do you know what happens to most apps? They die a very slow death, you know, in the, in the app store. So most apps are the wrong, it. people don't care. And yet, you know, it's the number one thing that people want to do. So with an app, it's exactly the same idea. And I go through a full example in my book of an app called FeeBird. You know, there are bird watchers, and in this app, you, you can use it, if you spot a bird, you can say, I know where this bird is, and if you pay me $5, I will disclose the location, right? So it doesn't matter what the idea is. So I go through an example of exactly how you would prototype that. And let me tell you what, it doesn't involve writing a single line of code. Are you a programmer, computer scientist? Yes, okay, resist the temptation. If you are a double E major, resist the temptation to fire fire your your, uh, uh, soldering iron, right? Because do you have any doubt that this, uh, the app you have in mind that you can build it? No, right, so there is no risk. There is no uncertainty, right? So the uncertainty is you're gonna spend six months building an app that nobody wants. So, one technique you could do that without writing any code, I know it's hard to resist, you can fire up uh, PowerPoint, and you can have a simulation and create a little bit of what your app is supposed to do, and then maybe you post it on YouTube or you show it to colleagues and you say, look, if you're interested in this app, give me some skin in the game. Which could be the smallest unit of skin in the game is a valid email address. So a Stanford EDU email address. Not the one that you throw away like, you know, hotbob uh, you know, at uh, uh, hotmail.com, right? So try to co- actually collect uh, data. But yes, definitely app can and should use prototyping, and in fact, it's one of the most common uses. More questions. Yes? Uh, how much time do I have between the, uh, so I got a bunch of people, want to buy this, so I just worried my mind, I wouldn't have time to get it to them, if I took a deposit. I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. So I took a deposit, $50. Oh, the, the, oh, the deposit, right, money. same. Uh, so the question is, how much time do I actually have to deliver to them? Well, there are many techniques. By the way, preto tapping, everything I teach, is absolutely ethical, right? You you're not out there to trick people. You know why, in fact, not to tapping is not ethical. You know why? Because what is one of our most valuable resources in the world? Okay. Well, time, or actually entrepreneurs, you know, especially kind of these young entrepreneurs, most of whom, if they don't follow this advice, are gonna build, you're gonna spend time, six months building an app nobody wants. So the biggest, the worst thing you could do is to not test the market, right? So one of the things you could do, say you pretend that you have this, this, let's say Elon Musk decided not to build a car. He gives the money back and maybe gives an extra, uh, you know, an extra bonus. You know, he pays the interest in that. Uh, That is, by the way, a problem that happens a lot with uh, other tools like Kickstarter, right? Kickstarter is very useful at the right stage. Before you kickstart, pretotipe it, because once you kickstart, you have the following problem. once, One, everyone in the world knows about your idea, right? It takes quite a bit of work to have a nice Kickstarter page. And three, if 10,000 people or 100,000 people sign up and they want your pebble watch and you don't deliver it, then you're gonna look like a fool and you're gonna have a lot of people upset. So in prototyping, everything is really, really scaled down. Thank you. Questions from here? Yes. Okay, hi, speak loud because you're way back there. Sure, um, I, I can see how you define prototyping in B2C um, yeah. products <coughs> and solutions, but how about b 2 b to c or worse than that, B2B? Yeah, so the question is, clearly it works well in B2C, how about B2B, which means business to business? It works just the same, it's just as necessary, because think about it, most B2B ideas, at some point as you hint, they have either C, consumer, or users. So even if it's the world's most boring B2B application, some, I don't know, uh, accounting database, at some point you will actually have the users. So you get into the room with your potential customers and you work out a prototyping to see if what they build, you build for them will actually be sold. By the way, the second startup that uh, did not work for me, the $25 million was a B2B. And our B2B research is pretty much the same. Yes, please build it. We will buy it and then we'll give it to all of our developers. And maybe some of those developers didn't want it. So B2C and B2B, same idea. Most ideas fail whether at B2B or B2C. Thank you, yes. Um, So I'm a PhD student and uh, I had many failed ideas and for each idea I worked like three months on that paper and it just didn't work out. So I wonder if uh, prototyping works for things like research. Well, so give me an example. What, what, What would be the end result of a successful research? So, uh, so let's say I want to build a chip that's like 30% faster yeah. for a specific operation, and um, I can only see the effect after I build a chip. But if, yeah. like, if I cannot deliver 30%, then it's a failed product. Yeah. So that's different because kind of you, you are your own market, right? So to me, this becomes more of a can I build it question, in which case you actually have to do prototyping. Now, not all ideas have to be prototyped. Let's assume that I come up with a little thing that I put inside a, a, a gasoline car and it triples the mileage and it costs a dollar a gallon, right? You think, do I really need to prototype that? No. You know, if I find a cure for a disease, do I really need to prototype? No. So some ideas don't need to pre- be prototyped. What about pizza? Do I need to prototype pizza? I wonder if I would put you know, cheese and uh, you know, pepperoni on a, some flatbread and I bake it if people would want it. Not all ideas have to be prototype, but if it's new and different enough, it has to. How are we doing with time? Yes, we have a few more minutes, yes. Suppose you upload your video onto YouTube, and what if some people steal your idea? Oh, oh, good, great. So, if I can repeat, what if people steal your ideas when you prototype it? That's precisely why prototyping is so beautiful because you contain the market. Those of you who still remember your statistics, uh, if you have a sample of 100 people, From your actual target market so it's a very careful sample that's all you need to test as opposed as I was talking say with the Kickstarter where you let the whole world know about it so you can really contain the number of people that are exposed to your idea and let me also give you this other explanation what is the risk that your idea will fail in the market 80 to 90 percent what is the risk that another entrepreneur hears your idea and decides to steal your ideas It's negligible, right? In fact, it's very hard to even get other entrepreneur to listen to your idea or to bring them on as partner. Most entrepreneur wanna build, you wanna build your idea? You wanna build your app or his app? He wants to build your app, right? You know when people steal ideas? After they know it's the right it, right? So after it's the right it, of course, then you have to build it right, you have to compete like crazy. At the beginning, nobody cares about your idea. Maybe you're really unlucky and somebody's just thinking of building exactly the same app, but play the statistics. 80% chance of failure versus 0.035% chance somebody steals your ideas. I would try to avoid failure. Don't worry about people stealing the ideas, honestly. Okay, how about this side? This side has been pretty quiet, except for Tina. Yes. Um, So I have a question. I know that teaching with you, one of the most important things about this is that in very complicated products or services, there are often some very specific things that can be tested that might be just a hypothesis about one part yes. of so as opposed to doing the whole thing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so you don't need to test the you have a specific example in mind? Well, sometimes like a Google Glass. Okay, yes. Yeah, so Google perfect example. Google Glass, by the way, in my book it's not a failure because it has been prototyped. At no, at no point did Google go out and order one million Google Glass, right? If you remember, you actually had to sign up and uh, pay $1,500 to participate in the Google Glass Explorer uh, program. So don't think that Google thought from the beginning this is going to be huge. They would love liked to, but they knew it, it, they knew it wasn't guaranteed because they never built you know, a million of them. So in the case of Google Glass, great example, the way they pre tapped, it, first they created a video which showed you in YouTube, like just like for Yap. Yeah, it shows you what the world would look like through Google Glass. Because at the time, the technology you still needed a backpack. And then you were able to buy it only in very small amounts and if you had to jump through a bunch of hoops and pay $1,500. And then they gave it a handful to these people and they started to collect Yoda, your own data. And one of the things they learned, uh, even if everything worked great in the technology, one of the things they could not predict is that if people knew that uh, you are being recorded by Google Glass, they didn't like you at all. So they came up with a rather derogatory term. Can I use it in this forum? Yes. Yeah, so they were being called glass holes, right? So the people that bought the Google Glass and they were going around and trying to, to video stuff, they said, just take them off, right? They were banned ban, ban in a lot of places. The interesting thing, you could have simulated that, and in fact, there were some people pretended to have Google Glass to see what their reaction would be without anything actually functioning. Uh, yeah. So a lot of unexpected results uh, come out. Any more questions? Yes. So some products are only useful after it reaches some scale. For example, yes. like social methods. Also, like the AI products, sometimes rely on like huge amount of data yes. Good. Good. Very good. Excellent question. You said some products. How are we doing time? Right. for more four more minutes. Some products need scale to be successful. Some AI products, right? You need a lot of you know uh, learning before they can become useful. Beautiful, I have an example actually in the book where I tell you how you could simulate and test an AI product without scale. Uh, in fact, I, as I knew that Amazon Alexa was going to be successful about a couple of years before it did because I built my own prototype. A prototype was a can of beans which are wrapped in some black plastic. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And then it's called a, a Pinocchio prototype. So it doesn't do anything, just like Pinocchio is a puppet. But then I put it in strategic places around the house trying to think, you know, if these companies actually build the speakers, would they work? So my first iteration of my version of Alexa, well, I didn't know the name, was I would ask, uh, I called it Hal. Hal, what time is it? You know, Hal, play me some Led Zeppelin. So without actually building, first I realized I would actually use it. I would love this. So I predicted I would need three of them, bedroom, kitchen, and my study, and that's exactly what I bought. The next iteration, which I actually did an example with one of my friends there, I took a, this can of beans and we hid a, a, a smartphone behind it, and then we had another people in another room listening to the smartphone and actually Googling the answer and playing it back. Right? So there are many of these tricks that you could do before you go and spend the millions of dollars to develop the AI, and you can do the test in a very limited basis using these techniques. How, how are we doing? We have, oh, great. One more question. One more question. Okay, there. Hi. Hi. Um, so if you're doing a pretend or uh, and you go with some potential customers and say, hey, uh, test this out, we build this, uh, would you be able to buy it? Uh, they start assuming that you have the technology to actually do that, right? And when they ask for stuff and you can't deliver on that because yeah. you're just pretend attacking, uh, would that get you into trouble? Well, right, so r- remember the thing, this assumes that you're confident that you could build the product, right? So when you print time, th- this is not a matter of deceiving the market. This is a matter of resolving the asymmetry between you giving a lot of your skin in the game to the market and the market giving nothing to you. So if you came and told me, Alberto, I have, I'm building a time machine, you know, and would you like to invest? I would say uh, no. But if it's going to build an app, I'm pretty confident that we can build uh, the app. So... I'm sorry, I cannot go into all the techniques, but in the book, I actually talk about the ethics and how you make sure not only that to tapping is 100% ethical, it's much more ethical than not preto tapping, which I think is a disgrace. Because 80% of, of failure means a lot of stuff goes into landfill, a lot of people spend time building products that nobody wants, and this will save you. So with that, I think we're just right good on time, and uh, thank you so much. <laughs> The Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series is a Stanford eCorner original production supported by the venture capital firm DFJ. The stories and lessons on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. To learn more, please visit us at ecorner.stanford.edu.